Hi, this is David Sachs, and welcome to Spiritual Tools for an Outrageous World. Every week we do a little couples therapy between us and God. It's a chance to deepen and explore our most important relationship. Well, there are a lot of people who are oppressed right now. Certainly, those people who are literally sick, literally sick with grief, are oppressed. And do I discount the fact that there are Palestinians who might be good people who are feeling oppressed right now? There are probably many, many of them. So what is ethical at this time? So I want to address that. And I'm speaking as a Jew to fellow Jews, but I'm also speaking to whoever else wants to hear this message. Over the last couple of generations, last few generations, we've grown up with a certain moral orthodoxy. And I'm talking about just all people. And here, here is what we've been taught by everything, by speakers, by television shows, by movies, by, by, by culture in general, by music bands, by everything. Peace good, war bad. Peace good, war bad. But, but let's just take a moment to, to consider that, okay? There is a mitzvah in the Torah, which is called Milchemes Mitzvah, which means a divinely ordained war. Not only that, but Shlomo Amelech, King Solomon, the, the wisest of men, says there's a time for peace and a time for war. Meaning to say that war in itself is not inherently immoral. The opposite. The opposite. Not going to war can be inherently immoral. And let me give you a very clear example. If Hitler rose and continued to be unopposed, that blatant evil in the world, and we said in the face of Hitler's atrocities, if we said... Peace good, war bad. Peace good, war bad. That would be evil on our part. We would be guilty of evil in the face of evil because we didn't confront evil. In other words, one of the ways to comport yourself in a moral, righteous, kind way is to uproot evil when evil manifests itself blatantly as evil. And to do otherwise might be masquerading itself as kindness or compassion, but it is absolutely unethical and immoral. And the Torah itself is very clear on that point. Now, I'm I'm, I'm making a point of this because there are people who are highly conflicted and they wrestle with the idea of, you know, what what happens when 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 you show strength in the face of evil? And what happens when collateral damage occurs, when 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 innocents suffer 
along with the people that you're targeting. Does that, does that mean that you, you, you can't do what you need to do? And, you know, I don't know who said it first, but war is hell. And that's why people say things like war is hell. Because in order to address the primary evil, there is residual suffering. And that's why it's such a miserable task, but it's not an immoral task. And we have to have confidence that there's a moral stance to war when it's to uproot a blatant evil like we've seen right now. And you can be confident and you can be proud of a strong stance that's coming to uproot it. Let's just talk a little bit of history right now. Just to compound the point, take it a step further. The Geneva Convention, which, which again, a lot of us grew up with the codes of the Geneva Convention. Let's just talk about a little bit of the history of it. It, it actually started in the 1860s, but the full-blown Geneva Convention really reached its culmination, its peak in, in terms of the way we know it, after World War II. And the idea was actually great. The, the idea was, wait a second, war is just savagery. What if the nations of the world agreed that there should be some rules to how we wage war, how we treat civilians, how we treat women and children, how we treat hostages and captives, POWs? What if all of the nations of the world could agree that there's a certain moral stance in how to address these situations? Wouldn't that be a march forward for civilization? And everyone said, absolutely. What a great idea. But now here's where it gets a little bit complicated. That's great when it comes to restricting evil people preying on innocence. But what happens when the evil people themselves hide behind this moral code so that evil can continue to perpetuate itself and that they themselves hide behind a morality that they themselves don't practice? What happens then? And that's what we're seeing right now. We're seeing people cry out that what Israel doing, is doing is, is too far or, or, or it's not fair. But that is literally evil hiding behind these statutes so that it can perpetuate itself and rear its head again. You also have to have something, and now I just want to educate you about something that I think is just, just everyone should know this word backwards and forwards, and this is at the root of why college campuses all over just are running to support the Palestinians. Did you ever wonder, how did it happen exactly that every college campus is automatically pro-Palestinian? How did that happen? When did that happen? And so there's a key word that you need to know, and again, this is just for your education, because if you're going to talk with anyone on any college campus, if you're not versed in this, 
then you're going to be wiped away in terms of argumentation. It's called intersectionality. How did intersectionality begin? What's the history of it? It began with feminists, and it went like this. There were women in, say, the United States who very rightly, correctly, and justly said, hey, wait a second, why don't we have equal rights? Why don't we have equal treatment? Why is a man being paid so much more for this job than a woman is being paid for this job? That doesn't make any sense, and that's completely unjust. Okay, all good, all 100% good. Why are women, why is there a glass ceiling in terms of how far women can be promoted within an organization or a company? Why can't women be CEOs? Okay, all of this, 100% good. And then there was an outcry from other women in the world that said, oh, wow, you call yourselves feminists? You are a collection of rich white women advocating for your own interests. That's not feminism. Feminism is supporting women all over the world in their oppression. That's feminism, not what you're doing. And it's like, whoa, that was a very powerful point. Like, okay, let's take a step back and absorb that. I hear truth there. I hear truth there. If I want to be a feminist, I have to connect myself. And now this is the beginning of the roots of intersectionality. I have to begin to address whenever I protest to have in mind all of these people in my category. Now intersectionality grows. And it says, wait a second. So, so women are just going to advocate for other women? How about all of us? advocate for each other, that whoever is oppressed advocates simultaneously for everyone who is oppressed. If there is an LGBT plus protest, it has to include everybody else who is oppressed in the world. And now enter the Palestinians stage left. All of a sudden they were invited, slashed, invited themselves into the community of the worldwide oppressed so that fruit pickers in Northern California can't protest the fact that they're being oppressed by the landowners without advocating for Palestinian rights. So what I'm wondering has intersectionality hit a wall? This automatic sense that everyone in any oppressed group, whatever that is, whether you're a fruit picker or in a black district in the south of the United States that's having your congressman taken away because of gerrymandering or LGBT or whatever group that you're in, the idea that do you really automatically accept whatever Hamas is doing? And you sign your name to that? Really? Maybe at some point there was a certain logic to it, but today and now under these circumstances, this has to be addressed because this automatic 
lockstep. Whatever they do, I do, and whatever I do, they do. It's no longer morally tenable. Reach out, because there's someone better than me who can do a think piece on this for the New York Times that can design memes, that can get this idea across in a simple, clear way. If you are gay, Hamas will kill you. They will murder you. As an LGBT person, you embrace Hamas over Israel who welcomes you and allows you to live the life that you want to live? Are you embracing Hamas because you're so heroic that you will give your life over their land dispute with Israel? Because speaking as a Jew, it just manifests itself as hate and anti-Semitism, not as compassion for their cause. And I don't think that's where you're coming from. I can't imagine that's where you're coming from. Because whatever oppression you're experiencing in whatever form of your life, I can't imagine that you are aligning your soul with slitting babies' throats and cutting open their stomachs and setting them on fire. I can't believe that that's your stance. I refuse to believe that that's your stance. That you feel so strongly. It's impossible. So if it's impossible, that means that there's some disconnect. And I think that disconnect is coming from lack of information, not lack of compassion. Intersectionality and this automatic signing on the dotted line of whatever they do, and you've seen what they're doing now, has to end, must end, must, must. Because you are joining an immoral army, and I don't think you want to. I don't. I don't. I don't think it represents Thanks for listening. We do this every week, so join in again next Sunday for a new podcast where we explore the amazingness of life. And review us and send in any comments or suggestions. I'd love to hear them.